It's just not going to generate enough revenue. So my concern is that despite whatever recommendations are made, we're either going to play exclusively doubles where you're at one end of the sheet the whole game or mm -hmm. the curling season might not be able to start, but maybe I'm just being too pessimistic. What are your thoughts? Yeah, there's, I mean, looking into the future, even two weeks down the road is, is somewhat foolhardy at this point. You know, we've seen so many things change so quickly in the last two months. Uh, you're right. If the distancing guidelines are what is supposed to be the rule, then yeah, that's hard to do. Uh, in four months, are we at a different place where the guidelines are different? Likely, but uh, it's really hard to speculate on that kind of thing. I think where you're right is that if clubs can't get the same number of curlers in, uh, we talked about this yesterday, like could you play only a doubles format? Uh, the, the club wouldn't reap the revenue as much, and the, the biggest sticking point would be sitting around for a drink after. You know, if, if the club, if, if it's a, a club like ours that have employees, then, you know, you're not going to make any money to pay those employees. And if it's a volunteer club, most of their revenue comes from from the bar as well. So, yeah, that that's going to be the sticking point for going forward is are we going to be able to sit around and have a drink after the game and are the distancing guidelines going to be as strict as they are now? Yeah, and, and part of that too is, you know, there's been speculation of, well, if you go with only one sweeper or even three-person teams or you try to do something to reduce the number of people in the club on a sheet and say, you know, you play and then you leave. At some point, I mean, Scott, we're it definitely in the demo of people who love this sport, but there's a point at which it's not worth it or not fun to go play i mean the reason i enjoy going to play is mostly because of the social element and if a lot of that is removed then given the cost associated with it i'm not entirely sure if the you know sort of cost benefit analysis is there and mm -hmm. that's something that has to be considered also that needs to be considered is let's be honest the average age of curlers across the country it's a little on the higher side. I mean, I played in the last day that the Ottawa Curling Club was open, and there was a guy there who's who's been a member of the club for 60 years. And, you know, you look at, at people like that, will they feel comfortable coming to play? Will other people feel comfortable playing against them? And the, the possibility of the asymptomatic nature of all this. There's so many just unknowns of it. As you say, it'll take time to figure it all out. And, you know, Curling Geek, I think, has been rightly trying to get on top of it with clubs of, you know, to try and be proactive in seeking out new forms of revenue, being prepared for an empty season. There, there are certain programs. I know the Ottawa Curling Club has benefited from the wage subsidy from the federal government. Mm -hmm. So there's just a lot, of, a lot of unknowns. And as clubs are in that time of year now where, it's membership drive season. People are starting to, in a normal year, sign up, submit their payments. You're also going to see 
perhaps some clubs come into cash flow issues through the summer and into the fall if fewer people are registering because of the unknown. It's just a scary time, I think, for clubs across the country and for those of us who love the sport and love going to clubs across the country. It's just this uncertainty is is it's not the greatest. No, uh, for sure. And, and, you know, we're all hoping for the best, obviously, but, uh, yeah, I guess everybody's health comes first and foremost, and hopefully we can get, you know, in a place where we better understand what's happening and better understand how to mitigate any risks. For sure. So uh, another thing that has come out in the past few weeks, we are starting to see some cancellations of curling events in the fall. We talked last week briefly, the Shorty Jenkins Spiel in Cornwall near the nation's capital here has been canceled for 2020. We also got cancellations from Asia, the Hokkaido Championship. What's the full name of it, Scott? The, uh, oh, I just had it right in front of me, the Hokkaido Bank Curling Classic. Yeah, so and that's, a, that's an event that regularly gets international teams, I want to say, McEwen won it last year. They were definitely there. Uh, and I'm, I, I want to say they won, but I, I, without looking up, up, I can't confirm that. But certainly it's a, it's a popular spiel in August for international teams, uh, North American teams to head over. It is. And then I, I, you know, I know you're saying some uh, events in the fall being canceled. This is, this always takes place in August. Yeah. I mean, it's like part of the er, 2020, 2021 season. Yeah. Yeah, I know, I know. Just I, when I think of the fall, I don't think uh, August long weekend. But uh... well, it's it's fallen. <laughs> it's, it's it's fallen Hokkaido. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> and uh, the other event, what was the other event that was also canceled? It was another uh, Japanese event. The, the uh, Advix Cup, uh, A D V I C S. It could be an acronym for something, but uh, also in Japan. I, I believe it's in Japan. Yeah. Yeah, so we're starting to see some cancellations of tour events out there, and I would expect to see some more, certainly some of those August spiels. Uh, I, I believe another one, Scott, I believe the Canada, the Canadins, the event that I can never say right, I, I want to say that one has also been uh, canceled or postponed. So we're starting to see it across the tour where events are going to be fewer and farther between this season, if any happen at all. Of course, another concern from that, but certainly with the bigger spiels, the, the Grand Slams, title sponsorships, these are multi-year contracts, so there's not a lot of concern in the short term. But the smaller cash spiels, certainly local, local spiels, sponsorships may start to be an issue in this economic climate. So that's another thing to, to keep in mind as we're talking about spiels and cash spiels as to is there going to be funding available especially for those ones that don't have multi-year agreements. So that's just another part of this whole story as we start to look at what could happen with the schedule as we come into the fall. Yeah, there's uh, I'm, I'm looking on the new World Curling Tour website, which we'll get to in a sec. And uh, the first event I'm seeing is the Baden Masters. Uh, still on track, but uh, so not yet canceled. The Shorty Jenkins, as you mentioned, canceled, and nothing else on here is canceled right now. So, yeah. So let's get into that World Curling 
website this is sort of the that that's the downer part of the podcast we did say when we started doing these uh back in our summer schedule now we try to keep it positive keep it uplifting but we, we did have some news that we just wanted to address for the moment so you know we want to be conscious of what is actually going on but let's talk more about some i don't know if these are positive things or not scott but the world curling tour today came out with an announcement they are changing the way that they do their points and i don't know about you but this is a welcome addition to me and i think the way that the world curling tour has framed this in their release as trying to make it clear trying to make it have more sense have it more online with the way the tennis tours work certainly makes more sense to me having multiplier strength to feel all that garbage is gone and now we have a just a value for the event and you're going to get points based on that i like this scott so this has become yeah a lot more like the tennis uh, the way that atp does it they have uh their sort of series events you know what i mean uh they've got like the master series and then the atp yeah. 1000 uh Challenger series yeah whatever they are. So uh, it seems like they've broken it down into champion series and then 1,000, 750, 500, 400, 300, 200, 100. Yeah. So that's eight different uh, series of events with differing points uh, for each of those events and uh, winners, finalists, semis and quarter finalists uh, each get a different allocation of points uh, based on, uh, which series it's in obviously the higher the series the more points you'll get uh I, i'll admit it it's somewhat welcome for me in trying to model this stuff <laughs> that i've been trying to do the last <laughs> few weeks like uh, this makes it way more simple yeah uh it won't be a strength of field as much as a uh, every event will have uh, the series that it's in and the teams that are going to those events will determine sort of uh, what series it's in so you know that for an event now that would have a low strength of field measure it, you know that it won't be you know worth a lot of points yeah so, and, and what uh, i like about it is that no you know it in advance so you know, the event right. gets put into this level so this is a 750 event and you know that going in so you know the total amount of points that you're playing for in each particular event so so that i think is really welcome not only for the, the players, but I think this will be good for the middle class as well. You know, we've talked so much about middle class teams getting pushed out increasingly, but here's an opportunity for those middle class teams or even young junior teams who want to go out entering a 100 or 200 series event now. It's, it's easier to know what to expect. You're not going to get blown out of the water. You're going to be competitive if you're at that level and there's a natural progression up as opposed to oh i want to enter this spiel and then the you know we'll see who else shows up i i really like this element of it that teams can set schedules i think in a much more effective way it allows more space for as i said younger teams middle class teams to to find the appropriate places for them to play and be competitive yeah and it it says here on the website that these events will be categorized and assigned points based on the amount of total prize money. So 
that in a way to uh, it self selects sort of t- exactly yeah it it self selects who will be going you likely won't see a team near the top of the point system uh, going to these uh, we'll call them lesser events the the lower ranked lower points available because they'll also have less money available and won't be worth the the time of one of those bigger bigger name teams right yeah so, so yeah it helps yeah, it uh, sort of keep teams that are at a certain level uh can compete against other teams in a similar uh, c- circumstance. So like you say, a, a team that uh, you know is maybe starting out from junior, looking to get more events in, uh, you know, they're going to have to do well at, at the lower events and then uh, be able to accumulate more money and then work your way up. Yeah, so I- I'm all in on this. I, I really like it. The other thing that is changed as part of this is that national and international events will not count towards this system. So winning a Briar, Scotty's European Championship, World Championship, uh, Pacific Asia Championship is not going to account for WCT ranking points. Uh, I kind of like that as well. Uh, for a variety of reasons, and you know each country has their own ranking system that those things can be allocated for. So I'm comfortable with that addition as well. So we'll have the WCT rankings and then we'll have national rankings. And and Scott, that just makes sense to me as well. Yeah, that was another one of the more difficult things I encountered in trying to evaluate teams is that uh, in Canada, all these Canadian teams have a lot more opportunity to earn points playing in uh, provincials or uh, or their national playdowns, right? And I didn't, I couldn't quite figure out how to account for those kind of events because they tended to have higher strength of field, but other teams like the Swedish teams who would play in a lower strength of field national championship, they they like wouldn't have the opportunity to earn the same number of points because they're not playing in a national championship in canada yeah so it was really hard sort of comparing apples to oranges when trying to break down the the points values into something that could quantitatively tell me how good a team was uh right yeah and and the hope too from this is that especially at the bottom part not with the bottom part you know once you got past what 20 in the order of merit it was really hard to discern anything. This makes it a little easier because you can say, oh, this team played in a a 500-level event and was a semifinalist. And it's just going to be a lot easier to compartmentalize that, to understand what that means, as opposed to, oh, they played in this event that had this multiplier. Like It it just makes way more sense. Yeah, it it is going to be a little more confusing given that a country like Canada, like Switzerland, like the U.S. that has a few more teams are going to have to create their own internal ranking system. So like we're, we'll, we'll have a system like the Canadian, uh, the, the CTRS points, Canadian yeah. team ranking system points. And I mean, then they already a have world... that though. Like they, like but, they already but... have, like the CTRS points exist. USA curling has their own. Like, the, like those things exist already. But but now we'll have two things. So yeah, but we'll still have two. Th- like we have two things already. In this country, at least. 
But we just use order of merit now. I don't think CTRS is used at all anymore. No, CTRS is still used. You have to. I love CTRS. What? <laughs> you have to? Yeah. It's the, it, but it's the same thing. It's the same points. It's the order of merit points. It's just only Canadian teams are ranked. So uh, anyway, uh, having having different national versus international ones seems kind of silly, but uh, but who knows? And then uh, the other thing that this this uh, announcement brought is that uh, curling zone is not going to be on the back end of this website anymore, and uh, Jerry Gertz will no longer have any affiliation with the World Curling Tour points rankings. So uh, that was made very clear yeah. in this statement. Yeah. And makes me think, huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That one is very surprising. I get that the WCTU wants to bring this in internally and I guess doesn't want to contract with Jerry Gertz anymore for whatever reason, but... I mean, we're not affiliated with Curling Zone at all. I know they have a lot to do with some other podcasts and, and are really supportive of, of podcasts and, and promote stuff. But that is the best curling website anywhere right now. And it's it's going to be hard to top it. So, you know, I wish the WCT luck in doing it. And I really hope that Curling Zone continues to provide the, the level of service it does for people like us and just general fans. But that that's a bit of a stunner to me. And, and yeah, Curling Zone, you could say that it looks like it doesn't belong in 2020, just the visual of it. But, you know, I've seen online where I think even Jerry has said, yeah, we want to update the appearance of it. But I don't care about the appearance of it. I care about the functionality of it. And it's incredibly functional. It's incredibly useful. It's an amazing database of information. And for the WCT to walk away from that is really surprising to me. And hopefully whatever they come up with is is useful and, and has information. But the depth of the material and information on Curling Zone, it's uh, it's surprising to me. Yeah, yeah. We'll see uh, what this means for the future of Curling Zone. Uh, I have some quibbles with it beyond just the appearance uh, in trying to dig for deeper stats. But uh, you're right. It is if you're just looking to see who's playing, uh, what the scores are uh, in any tour event, it's you can't be beat for that kind of stuff. No. I have so, a theory uh, yeah. as to what will happen. I won't say what it is. I'll tell you offline, Scott. But I have a theory as to what's going to happen with it. And uh, I think the two might be connected. But we'll see what happens with the, the future of Curling Zone and Jerry. All right. So uh, so there you go. So that's all the news update as the World Curling Tour moves forward with new plans. Now, Scott, we wanted to take some time here and talk about some of the players who are out there on that World Curling Tour. And we thought... It'd be fun if we could try to rank the top five curlers. This is independent of nationality. This is independent of gender. This is the top five people who are curling today. This is today. Well, not today because nobody's playing. But (laughs) 
from like the start of March, I guess, from the end of the Briar, let's say, uh, who who are the top five players in the world? And this was an incredibly difficult task. I thought it'd be relatively straightforward, but my goodness, Scott, there are some good players. Yeah, Sean, the, uh, we, we're working on another episode and uh, just didn't really have enough time to pull it all together for this week. So I said, hey, let's do this one that you had suggested thinking it would be, oh, yeah, we can do that one pretty easily. Yep. And, uh, whew, yeah, maybe not so much. <laughs> so what was your criteria for coming up with your top players? Like, what, what did you factor in? I was trying to think of, uh, like, obviously throwing, uh, like, shooting percentage or making a lot of shots is pretty important. For sure. But everyone, thank you. Thank um, you. That is the high quality curling analysis you come to Game of Stones for. <laughs> Making shots is important. Sure, sure. But also, the the sort of role that a player plays on their team. Yeah, for sure. Uh, also being super important. Important. So not only you know are you making your shots, but you're supporting the team uh, in a way, be it through sweeping through calling a game, uh, whatever, uh, playing ambassador on your, uh, on your team, something like that. So do we want to start at each of our like number five and work our way down? Yeah. I think that's a good idea. Let's, uh, let's down do to that. one. Yeah. Okay. So, so who I'll, do you got? I'll start. Yeah. Who do you got? So in, in the spirit of that, and given that the briar was the, event that we most recently saw i'm gonna put uh, at number five uh, reed carruthers wow playing uh, because you said like it's right now yeah so at this point he was uh one of the all-stars at the briar and was the key to his team success in my opinion at the briar not only did he shoot lights out uh, he facilitated communication with the team. He made it easier for all the other guys to make their shots. Uh, he bailed the team out when he needed yep. needed to and supported Mike uh, in, in a way that I had not seen until that event. So well, that's like why... Uh, six weeks earlier, they were yelling at each other. Well, they weren't, but it was very uncomfortable watching the Manitoba yeah. final. Yeah. And yeah, th- if that team from the Manitoba final shows up, in Kingston, they probably don't make the playoffs and maybe they go five and six or something. But the team that was there and and we said at the time, so we won't sort of hit it too hard. The Friday night during the wild card game, when he says to uh, Simogalski and Hodgson, all right, let's hear what Mike has to say. It's Mike's decision. This is what he wants to throw. We're going with this. Mm-hmm. I've never been so impressed with Reed Carruthers as I was in that moment. You know, I remember when he was playing with Jeff Stoughton and Jeff almost yelled at him one time. He's like, okay, I get it. Like, let me throw. And uh, to see him do that. And he kept it up all week. You're right. That was an incredible performance by Reed Carruthers in Kingston. He is probably the player I was the most impressed with there. But I wonder if part of that was because of what we had seen before back in January and the, my expectations weren't as high, but I think it's fair to say that, yeah, re- really good performance. Is he a top five player in the world because of that? I'm not so sure, but 
you're right. He had a great week. Yeah. And, and, you know, he does have a track record of being a great player yeah. and I'm, I, I am being a little more, uh, what do you say? Uh, caught like, uh, biased towards the present. What's that? Oh, recency, recency bias. bias. Yeah. 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 But, uh, I wanted to get this uh, started with a bit of a controversy. So there yeah. you go. Yeah. Very hot take of you. Well done, sir. Don't at me. <laughs> so you have Reed Carruthers as your number five, Scott. I went in a different direction in a little bit, but I did go with another third. And for this one, I went with somebody who I thought very versatile, can throw the high hard one, can throw a good draw, a really good sweeper. Even if sometimes when you when you look at this player, you wonder how they're able to get enough pressure on the broom because they don't—they're they're not the most physically imposing. They're not a, a particularly big individual, but they add some weight with their two gold medals. I'm going with Caitlin Laws. Ah, Caitlin Laws, very good pick. Very good pick. Thirds, I think, are going to dominate this this list. Not to give too much away. Uh. But thirds are super, super important on their team. Uh, Caitlin is either going to take over for Jennifer or form her own team after yeah. this quad is done. I, I don't think there's any... Uh, there's no question. Question about that, about that exactly. Yeah. And with them bringing on Lisa Weagle to form this five-man team, I think it really sets the stage for Jennifer to, to step back once the Olympics are over. Yeah, and I do think it helps just the overall, too, not to sort of forecast too much, but Jocelyn Peterman is the third. I think will fit a little bit better in that lineup, assuming that's the, the direction they go. Uh, but, yeah, mm -hmm. I, I think Caitlin Law is just really, even from her junior career, uh, really good attitude. When she was with Morris, that was much must-watch TV, not only because it was the Olympics, but just the banter on the mic going back and forth. You know, John Morris, obviously really good, great player, smart with angles. But Caitlin Laws was right there with him, uh, you know, really engaged in it, under, understands the angles really well, uh, and she can make anything. You know, she, you know, I've stood next to her, Scott, and I'm not a big guy, but I felt like I was twice her size. And yet she generates 20 times the power, both in sweeping and throwing, that I ever could. And, and I'm not entirely mm -hmm. sure how she does it. But she is a, a very, a really strong individual, and just I've always been impressed whenever I've had the chance to see her play, in person. Oh, it's it's yeah. different seeing her. Some players in person on TV doesn't really make much of a difference, but with her, she's one of those players that it just it, it feels different when you see her in person. She she feels or it feels like she she's more in command of what's going on in the ice whenever you see them play live. Yeah, you're 100% right. Uh, don't sell yourself that short, Sean. You're you're not you're not a small guy, but you're right. I think uh, we were going up to the the lounge in Vegas, and we I was behind her on the escalator, and her standing like a step up, she was still shorter than me. Right. So uh, yeah. very very small and. But, but if you said but anything, you say, but if you said anything to her, she'd pick you up over her, over her head and throw you down the escalator. Yeah, very strong, uh, a very skilled player. Absolutely, uh, 
no qualms with that at all. All right, so that's my number five. Who do you got at number four, Scott? Um, I'm I'm a bit uh, struggling to to pick someone here, but I'm gonna go. I think I'm gonna go with Alina Pats. Okay. From the Sylvanah Tiranzoni's team. Uh, basically, she is as unassuming a world champion curler, I think, as there is. I I don't know if I've heard her say that much ever. <laughs> no. Super quiet. She's a stone-cold assassin, man. She sure is. She's a stone-cold assassin. When she's on, her draw weight is as deadly as anyone in the game. And having, you know, Sylvana sort of shed the burden of responsibility of throwing those last rocks to to this player in Pats who's, like you say, a stone-cold assassin who's so good, it it really makes that team click. Uh, she can have her down games, for sure, but if I'm thinking about who I want to throw last rocks for me, she's in the top four, I think, in, in the world, right? Yeah. So uh, three-time world champion, once as an alternate, once as a skip, and once throwing fourth rocks uh amazing versatility on the team uh has done really well at mixed doubles in the past as well so yeah what do you what do you think of that i love that pick yeah she uh so i'll say she didn't make my top five but she's on my top five women right as i, as right. I said I, I did men women like she's she's great she really is and like you say in control a great balance between her and Tiranzoni. Uh, Tiranzoni, you know, we've seen her that she can get upset. Alina Pat's very calm. And yeah, I just, I, I, it's almost like, yeah, she doesn't say a lot, but there's almost this hint of cockiness when she's going really good of just mm-hmm. like, I got it. Like, don't, don't even worry about it. Sylvana. Like, what, what are yeah, you? Yeah. Not mad? a lot like, of. Re- yeah. Like, uh, why are you mad no. that you, you missed? I'm going to make the shot. Like, right. shut up. The, I'm thinking back to the the 20 I think it was 2018 Euros, right where there was the pick, or was it the World Championship? That's the this is the 2019 Worlds. Yeah, it's right. Tanzoni, so or no, she picks on her first one, and she's like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, and then Hasselberg was like uh, a little bit heavy. Yeah, and then she just made the next one. Like she's yeah. very un, unflappable. I would yep. say. Great pick, yeah. I have no qualms with uh, Alina Pats there at number four. Uh, I'm going to go with somebody for my number four, Scott, also usually very unflappable and somebody who you hear a little bit more from but not too, too much from. I'm going to go with Kevin Cooey at number four. He is somebody who obviously can make the last shot when you need him to, whether it's some sort of run, crazy double, something or if it's a draw, you know, getting cooed is a thing. Uh, so, you know, I think that's worth something in the rankings. Obviously, as a skip, you lose something in the sweeping department. But mm-hmm. in terms of pure shot making and understanding angles, other than Morris, he probably is the best angle person in the world right now. Really understands yeah. where the rock's going to go. I remember during the Olympics there in 2018, he was using corner guard or 
guards that have been ticked, center guards that have been ticked, and putting guards next to them so that when people tried to peel them out, they would come into the house and just really trying to understand new ways to defend against ticks. So very impressive what he can do on a curling sheet. So I have him at number four. Yeah, no no qualms with Koo, that's for sure. I, I didn't put him on my list because, like you say, I was focusing a little more on uh, all-around abilities. I do have some skips on here, but... Uh, uh, and, and then sort of his performance at this year's championship uh, at the Briar was a little below where I think he would he would like and where, what he's capable of so yeah definitely uh, below what he is uh, what his expectation would be uh, no question mm-hmm, mm-hmm. all right so who you got at number three so at number three I put Rachel Homan okay spoiler Sorry, I got Scott that's where I have Rachel Homan too all right yeah uh, sorry I had a beard hair stuck in my mouth um Gross. <laughs> time to trim uh rachel is obviously a great player uh obviously the same sort of steely demeanor uh that we see on the ice from elena pats a little bit uh you know uh, maybe a little bit more flappable we've seen her lose the last two scotty's finals um but in getting to those finals been pretty pretty efficient pretty deadly in doing that, uh, also three-time Canadian champion, uh, one-time world champion, or two-time world champion. So, uh, obviously a great player. What uh, what do you have to say about Rachel? I think what's remarkable about Rachel is the evolution of her game. Sort of similar to the Kevin mm. Martin, a little bit cooey too. You start out, you're able to throw the hard ones. It's just learning more of the soft game, the touch game. Uh, she's great with angles as well. Uh, and being able to come up with that pressure clutch shot, you know, that 2017 Scotty's final down there in St. Catharines, just key shots there to win. Uh, the way she ran through the field really at the trials back in 2017 here in Ottawa, incredibly impressive. That final against Chelsea Carey, there was really, never really any doubt. Yeah, they had a, a tough time at the mm-hmm. Olympics, but – you know, that happens. <laughs> but, they, you know, they've been great since. Getting to consecutive Scotty's finals is very impressive to me. You know, yes, you lose them, but, hey, you got to get there. There's, what, 14 other teams who didn't get there. So, you know, you're, you're doing really well if you can get to them. And she's just one of these players, and I know it's a whole team thing, but she's a player that there's not many. If she's going... I don't know if you can beat them when she is playing really well. And that is a status that is limited to a very few number of players. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Here, I'll throw you some numbers, Sean. Uh, career at the Scotties, uh, 75 wins, 20 losses. Uh, the World Championships, 34 wins, 6 losses uh, at, at Olympic trials. I'm, I'm surprised she's actually lost 6 games at a World Championship. Yeah, because they had the one, the she, one she that went was, undefeated in uh, Beijing. Yeah, and the one in Latvia, they struggled a bit, but uh, yeah, they're just a, yeah. A, a really great and amazing player. So there you go. Yeah, what were you gonna say about trials? Uh, at Olympic curling trials, thirteen and five, 
and uh, now they made the trials in fourteen in, or well thirteen in thirteen, yeah, and they were s- sort of just breaking on the scene then. Yeah. So uh, not that great, and uh, we won't mention the Olympic Games totals. So uh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. So we both have Rachel Holman there in the three slots. Scott, who do you have at number two? Number two, I decided to pick uh, Brad Gushu. Okay. Uh, a curler who has been on the radar in Canada and around the world for a long time. Yep. Uh, that Olympics in 2006 was definitely a surprise that his team won it, but they had Russ Howard with them. Yeah, it was such a surprise that they changed the rules of how we determine the Canadian Olympic team. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And uh, so the the fact that he's been he, he got to that pinnacle so early in his career yeah. uh, has been dominant out of uh, a weak province in Newfoundland, Labrador, been able to overcome sort of the geographic restraints of playing in Newfoundland, uh, break through with that Canadian championship in 2017 uh, 2016. Well, I'm messing up my years now. Uh, <laughs> Time has lost all meaning. <laughs> all right. So we had 2020. So it was 2017, 2018, and 2020. Yeah. Three and four years. Yep. With the the kind of field that they have at the Canadian Championships right now is very very incredible. He is not only the skip of the team, but he takes on the majority of the media burden. Everyone always wants to talk to Brad. Uh, the ladies love Brad. Everybody wants to get a picture, <laughs> a smile. Uh, he's very good with the fans. Uh, on top of that, being able to make, like, some of the shots that they were making at the Briar, they were just so ridiculously good. Like, the yeah. little corner freezes exactly in the right spot. Just an amazing player. Uh, handles himself well on and off the ice and uh my number two player yeah he might be the only guy in the field from kingston who gets down four nothing to brad jacobs and can come back yeah right for as great as the field was you know that that might be the only team that could do it i agree with with everything he said and what what's even more amazing is not just the longevity of it but that Arguably, the bulk of his success has come now later in his career that I know he's not an old guy by any means, but that he he was so dominant in Newfoundland for so long, but he constantly was getting better. And you know, if you look at some of his early briars, he doesn't have good records in, in some mm-hmm. of those early ones. And he, he put in the time, he, he got the team together. You know, he gave Brett Gallant a job to move him <laughs> to St. John's. I don't know if he still works uh, for one of uh, Gushu's company, but, you know, he, he really was fully invested in it, and it's paying off now at the tail end of, or what may be the tail end of his career. We'll see if they go through another cycle or not. But that's what's really the most impressive to me is it would be easy for a player to win a gold medal and then be like, all right, I'm good and and play and still play, still try. But it, it seems like in the past six, seven years, really since this team got together, 
he's he's doubled down on it and really gone hard and that Briar and St. John's was probably as whenever he retires is going to be the high point of his career maybe probably personally and and I think it'll be the moment we all think about as opposed to him missing a draw for seven in the uh, gold medal game at the Olympic Games. But, you know, that that is is what comes to mind when I think of, of Gushu. And, yeah, fully deserving of one of the top five players in the world, I, I agree. Just imagine that your top experience as someone in your career is not winning the Olympic gold medal. Yeah. It'd be an like, interesting question to ask him when his career ends and he has time to really reflect on everything. Yeah, you're right. Because I, I know that he, he for a long time felt like, okay, I won an Olympic gold, but I've never won a briar. Yeah. And that really, really drove him, uh, in, in those interim years there. So yeah, yeah well, he famously had the list, right. That he made when he was a, a teenager of all the things he wanted to accomplish in mm-hmm. curling. And I think the only thing that he had not completed by the time he was 25 years old, it was a briar. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty incredible. Yeah. So, uh, so even though Scott, I said fully deserving of a position in the top five, I didn't put him in mind <laughs> because I've well, seen him try to sweep. Yeah. Okay. Fair. <laughs> um, that being said, I do have a skip in the number two spot. I have Anna Hasselberg as number two. She is just a player who, uh, this will basically sum up my feelings about Anna Hasselberg. Last year in the fall of 2018, when they won the first couple Grand Slams, they could not play in the third one because uh, I believe a Swedish event was going on. Maybe it was the Europeans even. I can't remember. But they couldn't go, and they tweeted out a message of good luck to everybody. Uh, you know, We're sorry we can't be there. We would love to be there. And I, my initial thought was that's the nicest way to say you're all lucky we're not there. And <laughs> yeah. that that's sort of how I feel that when they are on this run, and it, it's almost similar at this point with Anna Hasselberg, that she's not quite at the Gushu stage because it hasn't been as long, but all she needs to do is win the world championship at this point. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she she will, I'm, I'm convinced of it at some point, but whenever she steps on the ice, I think against anybody in the world right now, she's the the favorite. Yeah, uh, we've talked about it as long as we've had this podcast. Uh, is it Holman or is it Hasselberg? Who is it this week? Who yeah. you got, right, uh, for the best team in the world? And uh, Anna Hasselberg's a great uh, a great player. This is going to lead nicely into my number one, Sean. Because because I have Sarah McManus as my number one player in the world. Okay. I th- I think uh, Sarah McManus is is the perfect third. One of the things when I watch Team Hasselberg play is it seems like they're all having fun. Yeah. Even if it's stressful, even if they miss shots, even they it's maybe it's just the way Swedish is to sound sort of upbeat. <laughs> uh, well, certainly and, the and, Swedish chef is always having a good time. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. in the way that, you know, German always sounds harsh to me. Maybe <laughs> right. Swedish just sounds kind of happy. But uh, Sarah is one of the best shot makers in the world, uh, can step into any situation. Uh, I, I would, you know, put her shot for shot against anybody in the world and is the important glue on that team. 
in my opinion, uh, between the front end and, and Anna, sort of on the back, uh, all around amazing player and my number one player in the world. Yeah, and she's got a sleeve, right? No, you're thinking of Agnes. I'm thinking of Agnes, you're right. Oh, yes, not even Agnes. Know. No, it's uh, it's the lead. <laughs> it's the lead. That's how little you think about front end players. Is the lead. <laughs> no, of course not. Of no, course uh, not. Uh, Sophia, Sophia Mobbergs. Yes, yes, of course. Uh, so yeah, I, I think that's a, a fair choice. That yeah, Sarah McManus is great for sure. Yeah, no complaints about that and yeah very well-rounded player as well which is why scott i also have gone with the third for my number one player in the world but i'm going back to the men's side of the game i think the best player in the world right now is mark kennedy okay and i honestly don't think it's close either uh with all due respect to the other players i I, the difference that he made on Jacob's team is remarkable. The difference he made when he moved from second to third with Cooey is remarkable. Just his how calm he is on the ice. Uh, he's a great, he's still one of the, the best sweepers out there, uh, a great line caller. And when the National Research Council was looking into rocks and sweeping and, and the effects things have, Mark Kennedy was more consistent than the frickin' robot yeah. in terms of throwing. That's how good he is at delivering a curling rock. It's just, it's it's amazing what he can do out there. And I, I really think that pound for pound uh, across positions, if I have one person who I, I need to make a shot, I'm putting my money on Mark Kennedy. I think above anybody else in the world, and that ultimately is how I came to that decision to rank him number one. Yeah, uh, you really can't go wrong with uh, with Mark Kennedy at all. And, Sean, I think what this exercise has shown me and has shown uh, all of the listeners out there is that you really can't go wrong picking any of these players. Yeah. Uh, like, you can pick – we picked five totally different players – uh, for best in the world. And I think anybody out there can pick uh, a, a random list of five players and be able to justify it somehow. Uh, we Neither of us had any PACC players on here. No. It's more a product of, you know, having lost this world season uh, to really s- get yeah. a little more familiar with what's going on. Uh, the recency bias is that we've seen more Canadian and European stuff lately. And when the, uh, but when the when the PACCs are going on too, just time difference, it's hard to watch. So we don't we just don't see those teams as much either. Right, just right. In, They're, in general, like, and I was really looking forward to seeing uh, uh, the new Chinese women's team uh, at the Worlds this year, uh, the Korean team uh, again as well. So, uh, you know, you ask me in six months, my list could be totally different. For sure, for sure. And the one name, Scott, I, I had a bunch written down here. But the name that was, if it was difficult to leave somebody off in a in a you know reductive exercise like this, is Mark Nichols. That's another one that mm-hmm. you know I, I would argue that for as much as the the Brad Gushu team won the Briar, Mark Nichols won the final. Yeah, he was amazing in the final. Yeah, like so. Yeah, like if you're Brendan Botcher, you're you're not looking at anything because because. <laughs> 
you know, a Nichols had just figured it all out for you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, definitely tough choices, but yeah, you're right. No, no way you can go wrong. So Scott's list, Reed Carruthers, Alina Pats, Rachel Holman, Brad Gushu, and Sophia Mabergs. And Not then, Sophia Mabergs. Oh, why did I write Sarah down Sophia Mabergs? Sarah McManus. Well, so uh, Sophia, Fia is pretty good too, but uh, <laughs> no, she's the lead on uh, this. Yes, that, team. that was the last name that we mentioned, so I wrote mentioned. It yeah. uh, and for me, Apo- okay. apologies uh, for yes, leaving her off. <laughs> and for me, uh, Caitlin Laws, Kevin Cooey, Rachel Holman, Anna Hasselberg, and Mark Kennedy. But yes, as Scott says, uh, no way that you can go wrong with any of those nine individuals who are on that list. Or any of the other ones who you can come up with, for sure. Mm-hmm. So that was fun, Scott. That actually took my mind off what we talked about at the start of the show. Yeah. What did we talk about at the start? Uh, no, it doesn't, doesn't it even doesn't matter. matter. doesn't matter. Uh, I got a text here in real time from Dean Moser, who was listening to our commercial episode, Scott. If you haven't listened to this, go back and listen to it. This is a. It, it was a lot of fun to do. We ranked the best commercials that air during TSN broadcasts. And Scott, you have been accused of going full scorched earth on the prairies. Eh, that's fine. So you are no longer welcome between Thunder Bay and the mountains. Yeah, good. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> wow. As long as, as long as I can fly over, I'm okay. <laughs> so, uh, so that'll do it for this week. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. If you have not yet, please do go subscribe to the show, wherever it is you get your podcast. Give us the likes, the ratings, the comments, all that fun stuff. Keeps the show going. Let's other people find the show. Uh, shout out to Rocks Across the Pond. We're still doing the Instagram Live. This week we did it today on Wednesday. Uh, and we're going to go back, I think, to Mondays next week. So Mondays, 5 Eastern with the guys from rocks across the pond we're doing the instagram live scott i hosted it this week for the first time so i didn't see any of it but i had fun yeah you did well thanks once i found the button yeah, yeah took me a while were, were hard for you to figure out they 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 sure were but uh, so we're still going to be doing that for a while it seems like so definitely check that out over on instagram on monday afternoons as always, you can follow along with everything going on with the show, Twitter and Instagram at Game of Stones Pod. Scott's there at Scott Likes TV. I'm at Dr. Shawnee Fever. And of course, you can email the show with any ideas or thoughts, Game of Stones Podcast at gmail.com. So we hope everybody is doing well. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with you again next week. But until then, keep your brooms on the ice and don't dump that intern. Make the final...